Motley Fool Money, Stock of the Week. G'day Fools, I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer here in Australia and thank you for joining us yet again for another episode of Motley Fool Stock of the Week where we pull the curtain back on one of our recommendations and give it to you for free on both YouTube and our podcast. We share with you what it is, why we like it, the risks and of course why we think you might want to consider buying it right now. Now I use that phrase why you might want to consider very deliberately. We can only give you general advice, not personal advice. We can't tell you what's right for you specifically, for your needs, objectives, goals, and circumstances. All we can say is we think a company is likely to be a market beater in our opinion, and you need to decide whether it's right for you. Now, speaking of market beat, we are long-term investors. We make no predictions over the next hour, day, week, month, or even year. We're looking out three to five years and beyond and trying to find the long-term compounders that can have a material impact on building the wealth you're looking for, hopefully earlier than retirement, but certainly in retirement and well and truly thereafter as well. And while I'm on a roll, the third one, this of course is being recorded in the middle of February, 2022. If you're watching this or listening to this any later than that, just be mindful that we can and do sometimes change our recommendations based on circumstances, price, value, competition, uh, quality, all that sort of stuff. So it's our view now, right now, uh, but please just bear in mind that it can change from time to time. All right, with all that out of the way, let me bring you today's analyst extraordinaire, Trevor Machezzi. G'day, Trevor. How are you, buddy? Good afternoon. How are you? Mate, I'm exceptional. I'm very excited that you're here to bring our podcast listeners and our YouTube viewers a company that I'm going to say, mate, I am clearly not as smart as you because I have missed this one the entire way through. So I'm going to get you to educate me as well as educating our listeners and viewers on a company called Lovisa, L-O-V-I-S-A. The ASX code is L-O-V. I'm going to say, mate, I have never, ever, ever set foot in a Lovisa store. I don't even do that much shopping. So maybe you can help me out and assume you can help at least a few of our, our listeners and viewers out. What exactly is Lovisa? Well, Scott, I'm not quite uh, surprised that you've never set your foot uh, into a Lovisa <laughs> shop. Maybe I don't think you are the target, you're the target market. Uh, but That's so probably the good for them and for me, I imagine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. I mean, uh, the company Lovisa is a... a it's like a vertical integrated specialty uh, retailer that focuses mm-hmm. on affordable jewelry, right? So okay. they only, only f- focus on affordable jewelry. So if let's say, you know, someone wants to go to a party or a function and they need, you know, some nice earrings, some nice necklaces, but something that's really affordable off the shelf, mm-hmm. they go to Lovisa. Um, so that's, that's their target market. But the business model, right, really, is what we normally call a vertically integrated uh, retailer. What that means mm-hmm. is that they design, design, they source, and they merchandise their actual their Lovisa branded products. So mm-hmm. they only sell Lovisa branded products in their shops. The actual manufacturing itself is done in China, but in terms of the design of the products and you know the the merchandising and the sourcing of the product is done in house. Uh, so the company really the way it works, I think a very very good example of such a business model is with a company called Zara, which is one of the most popular mm-hmm. specialty um, retailer that focuses on fashion. So they have got almost a similar business model, but they focus on mm-hmm. affordable jewelry. Mm-hmm. I like it, mate. And Lovisa is one of those businesses. You, again, I don't actually, I, I don't live in the city. I live just out of the city, uh, so I don't even think I've seen literally physically seen a Lovisa store. Certainly not for years. 
that it's, it's done an amazingly great job of growing. I don't know if you have the store count in handy, but it's blown itself up in Australia. And then overseas, it's a really, really, uh, for me, I would have thought a really specific, very small niche. But I guess that's the thing. If you dominate, you can do really, really well. Uh, do you have a sense of the geographic footprint, mate, just for, for a bit of information for our viewers and listeners? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the company, like you said, Scott, this is a really successful Australia slash New Zealand type of play. They've got something close to 153 plus or minus uh, like stores within Australia and New Zealand, right? And I think uh, in some analysis that we did, I think within our specific market, the optimal side in terms of footprint is around 160 stores. After that, okay. really, you start cannibalizing yourself. So they're almost reaching like, reaching like maturity uh, levels within Australia and, uh, and New Zealand. So this particular company, why we like it, is exactly what you said. This is an international growth story. So they right. want to replicate this model to go to the international market. So what they have done is that uh, around the peak of COVID, which is around uh, 2021, 2020-2021, uh, they acquired a German, uh, again, fast fashion jewelry retailer, a German company, okay. Uh, and they paid like 80 euros for that acquisition. Not 80 million, 80 euros for that acquisition. Because remember <laughs> okay. that at the peak of COVID, right? At the peak oh, of COVID, right. most physical stores were, you know, they were shut down for an extended period. So most right. uh, physical uh, retailers, they were struggling across the entire world. Wow. So they managed to buy this company in Germany and that gave them footprint across seven European countries. So they are going to spend something around, around 6 million euros in terms of you know rebranding and restocking all this uh, uh, all, all this the exposure that they get in in, in this eight seven European countries, I think right. it's a total count count of around 115 stores. So they're going to spend 60 million six million euros to refurbish and restock this with and rebrand to Lovisa. But essentially, what they want to do is they want to replicate the successful model in Australia and New Zealand, and then they want to take it overseas. It's an amazing story, man. I'm going to ask you a question by way of, of, of um, identifying and, and uh, focusing on my own ignorance. When I saw the LaVisa story, I got it was growing quickly. But I guess my first thought was, how big can it really get? The other one, I guess, was I'm still, I'm not even sure I still know. So I'm asking you literally to help me out here. Um, a business like LaVisa seems to me to have almost no competitive advantage, right? The idea of the fast fashion, the costume jewelry or affordable jewelry, as they call it. You, you and I could get together, and maybe you're not you and I. You and I and someone else, well, you may have more fashion sense than me. I'll make it about me. I couldn't start Lovisa tomorrow or competitor tomorrow, but I figured someone else could. And so my concern was always, what's the secret source here? Why does it have the ability to grow so fast? Why is it a sustainably kind of a sustainable business that couldn't just be simply replicated or replaced tomorrow? What's the secret source that I'm missing when it comes to Lovisa? So the secret sauce, Scott, the way I think about it is always, I think the best example is Zara, right? So the secret mm. sauce is that Zara and Lovisa, they've got one thing in common in that they can spot a fashion trend and from the time they spot it, they can bring the product on the shelf within between 10 to 20 days, right? So they've mm. got this supply chain, which is really amazing because if you look at yeah. other other um, fast or other um, retail shops, right, when they're in the uh, fashion or jewelry, it can take six months between you know coming mm. up with an idea and then merchandising and bring it the stuff the stuff uh, on your 
shelves in the store. But for these guys, mm. I think Zara were the pioneers in this space. That's why Zara as a company is one of the most successful uh, fast fashion retailer because they can spot a trend and bring it on the shelf within 10 days. So it's a, re- oh. it's a remarkable supply chain that they've been able to build over the years. So I agree with you in terms of conceptually, right? You can say, you know, we can replicate this model, but maybe in practice you might find mm. it much harder to replicate than than it is like in theory so they have got a similar that's the similar approach that uh lovisa uses mm. right so and, and really if you think about it, right if you think about the bookcase for lovisa it's all about maybe i can call it instagram and TikTok. that's the bookcase right so yeah. you have got these um, young millennials and gen z you know they there's something that's you know, fashionable, whether it's an earring or whether it's a necklace mm. or whether it's a design for a particular, you know, any jewelry, that is that is trendy at that particular moment, right? So when something is trendy, people want to get their hands on it in 10 days, in one week, not to wait for six mm. months for something trendy, right? So that ability for them to be able to deliver trendy, uh, affordable jewelry on shelf within 10 to 20 days, that is the secret sauce. That's remarkable. Mate, my, my trends are about 10 to 20 years, so I'm probably a little bit off the pace with LaVisa. Maybe I won't start a, uh, a competitor anytime soon. Um, when it comes to the – let's go back to the international story because, as you say, 150-ish stores in Australia, you reckon the maximum is about 160. So I'm going to say, based on what you're saying, and tell me if I'm wrong, the Australian New Zealand business is pretty mature. It's kind of it – maybe even hopefully it's a cash cow business or at least it's a prototype business they can take elsewhere – They've already bought the German business, so they've got 115-odd stores there. Is this a business coming towards the end of its life or has it still got multiple legs to go? What does is, what is the international future look like in terms of Lovisa's compound opportunity moving forward? Yeah, so, so Scott, I think that's a very, very good question. Uh, so the way we think about Lovisa is, 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 is like this. So you have like an Australian business, right? Australia slash New Zealand business, to your point, that is really mature. Uh, prior to COVID, right, um, the profit margins, net profit margins on this business, the Australian New Zealand, was around 16 or 17%, which is extremely high for the retail. I mean, if you know for the yeah. retail sector, you're looking at 3% plus or minus or 4%. So if you're doing 16%, yeah. it's extremely, extremely high. If you look at the return on invested capital, I think it was around 60%. Again, extremely high for the retail sector. All right, so we've got this nice cash cow, uh, you know, from from the Australian and New Zealand business, which is mature. And if you look at the company's PNL, they have been making a lot of profits like over the years. So what they did is that they, uh, I think, in 2021, which is last year, they appointed a guy called Victor Herrero, who was the uh, former head of Zara. He worked for, he worked oh, for wow. Zara. He okay. went for uh, Guess. Uh, and then you also wait for clerks. And also, these are fast fashion uh, retailers. So, and he was responsible for those businesses within China and India. So he has, wow. he has extensive experience in terms of developing um, fast fashion in those two mm. significant markets. So they managed to do a coup and re- uh, recruited him to become the CEO for, 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 for Lovisa. So to answer your question, right, um, the way that we, th- we are thinking about the international opportunities is twofold. Number one is there is opportunities to really take advantage and be counter-cyclical like what they did with German because the European market is quite 
you know, mature and developed. But a lot of these specialty retailers, they were struggling during the COVID when there was an extensive shutdown of, of stores. So they've got that leg, right, that they've uh, entered those markets through the acquisition of the German company. And then there's also the opportunity to, to expand into China and into India, right, mm-hmm. and take this fast fashion mentality, really, which is to a large extent driven by social media, uh, because then, you know, people want to post, or whether it's Instagram or on TikTok, they want to post and they want to, you know, post looking good and, you know, with some fashionable jewelry. So those two markets are quite ex- quite expensive markets. We're talking about something close to 2.6 billion or plus or minus more people in those uh, combined markets. And Victor has extensive experience, especially in those two particular markets. And then the last thing is that the way that Victor's remuneration structure is structured is that uh, he only gets to make money if he quadruples uh, Novisa's uh, you know uh, uh, net profits over the next three years. So that's only how he is going to get paid. So there's also this alignment. Or I think on his end, he's also quite comfortable in his ability to quadruple profits over the next three years for the company. An extraordinary story if they managed to do that, and I can see why that's an attractive investment opportunity. It's interesting, mate, as you're talking, you mentioned Europe being a mature market, and just I reflected that Australia itself was also a relatively mature market when it comes to costume or affordable jewellery. And it's it, the breakthrough that you've highlighted, I, I didn't even think of this before our chat, so I'm glad we talked. The idea of kind of using social media as the as the innovation, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing new in retail, generally speaking. I mean, the fast fashion idea, the supply chain stuff is obviously great, but the opportunity to say, hey, we can find it, Build it and bring it to market. Even in a remark, I mean, what's more mature than that kind of jewelry, right? Or, or costume jewelry? There's been a million of them around forever. Uh, this wasn't exactly an underserved market. It had plenty of people. You could buy plenty of stuff. But if you can build a brand around being right and being quick and using that social media, I can see why you say, well, hang on, Europe's in a mature market. But if we can go in there and bring better stuff more quickly, we can undermine, undercut the incumbents, both in terms of maybe price, but certainly in terms of speed, and become that kind of go-to. If I see it on TikTok, I know I'll get it at La Visa. Oh, yeah. yep. it's, it's, a, it's a pretty <laughs> cool story. It's a, that, That's pretty awesome. Mate, let's go to the risks in a second. I'm going to get you to hold for fire one minute while I do a quick ad, uh, because as always, the Stock of the Week episode is being, I like to say simulcast, because it makes me sound like I'm doing the fireworks in 1993, but um, being, being broadcast across both YouTube and our podcast uh, channel. So let's go through those. If you're listening to the podcast, that's Motley Full Money. Thank you for doing that. Please jump onto our YouTube channel as well. Just go to uh, youtube.com slash C, I think C is for channel, slash C slash Fool AU, or just simply search for the Motley Fool Australia on YouTube. You can find us there and you can see Trevor and myself have this conversation plus a whole lot of other stuff we post to the channel really regularly. I'm not going to give too much away, but Trevor and I have a series upcoming that I know you're really going to enjoy. Trevor's already thinking about two or three episodes worth. It's going to be fantastic. So jump on the YouTube channel, subscribe and hit the notification bell if you wouldn't mind. Um, also, by the way, if you're on the on uh, on the podcast, check out The Good Oil with Scott Phillips, which is our other podcast. Um, there's some really great stuff there as well. If you're on YouTube, of course, check out the other two, Motley Fool Money and The Good Oil. You can get so much good stuff from The Motley Fool. We are on, on all of the planets. We're on YouTube and we're on podcast. We're on socials. We speak just spoke about socials. I'm not on TikTok. I am on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter. You can get me there at TMF Scott P. You can get The Motley Fool on both those platforms at The Motley Fool AU. And Trevor, you're, I think, at Trev Muchedzi on yep. Twitter. Is that right? That's right, Scott. Yeah. 
Excellent. Got that out of the way. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you can also find us uh, facebook.com slash scottphillipsmoney or facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia. As I said, it's all free, free from The Motley Fool, including this episode and one every single Wednesday where we give you one of our recommendations. We pull back that curtain, as I said. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. All right, mate, let's get to the risks because, as I say, almost every week, uh, we always want to make sure that we share the risks of an investment with our members. We recommend them because we think they're a good chance of being market beating, but we also know occasionally we make mistakes or things just happen, right? We can't know the future with certainty, so we try and find the best, highest possible return given the risk, given the potential return. We say, yep, we think you should buy those shares, but there are things that can go wrong. That's also the case with LaVisa. So maybe, Trevor, you could share with us some of the risks of an investment in LaVisa for us. Sure. Sure, Scott. I think the what we have seen, at least in the last six months or last 12 months with LaVisa, is you know, this continued impact of um, the lockdowns, all right? Or, yeah. Because LaVisa, of course, is an omni-channel type of a, of, a, of a retailer, so they sell both online or offline. But Jewelry, if you think about it, it's really like a product discovery type of, you know, um, type of you know, the category. So people want to yeah. walk into the shop. They want to try various, you know, jewelry pieces before they, they actually choose one. So the company has been mm. heavily affected by um, by the lockdowns, right? Uh, and it has been a caveball. Uh, everything, everybody thought everything was going back to normal. In the, but in December with Omicron. Uh, so this, yeah. this continues to be a risk. Uh, in the short to medium term, because we really can't tell, you know, how these lockdowns uh, can evolve over time. Uh, and then the second one, which is uh, one of the most critical issues right now, is around supply chain. Uh, obviously, um, so many companies, Lovisa is not an exception. They're also being uh, impacted by supply chain. So that ability, because the actual manufacturing is done right. in in uh, China, so that ability to be, to, to be able to source and merchandise their products really at the moment is, is, is it has been extremely quite difficult. Mm. So we expect mm. these headwinds also to continue into, to, into the short to medium term. And I think another key one is around like labor costs, right, which, you know, right now, or, or, or labor shortages, uh, if I can uh, probably like Position that way, so we have we are seeing these labor shortages, uh, you know, continuing. Again, this is linked to COVID. Um, right now, we, we are seeing across the world that it's quite difficult to get you know employees within uh, like uh, specific categories. So these labor shortages are also pushing up costs in terms of operating costs. So in the last six months or so, we have seen the company's uh, net profits uh, decline substantially. Like I said, prior to COVID, they were doing around sixteen percent. Um, right now, I think in the last six months, the profit margins are something close to 9%. So it is one thing that we have to continuously monitor. It's extremely difficult for us to tell, you know, how this is going to play out until the issue of, um, you know, at least until the risks associated with COVID, you know, have, um, have gone down. So it's one of the things that we should continue to look out for. Yeah, it's a really good point, mate. I've said before that uh, this is, it's, it's actually, uh, perversely, if we, if we like that sort of thing and you and I do, it's a great time to be an analyst, right? Because it, it normally in a, in a normal environment, even even during recessions, you can kind of, you know, things move in relative waves. You can kind of forecast forward a little bit. We don't tend to make predictions at the Motley Fool, but you kind of think, okay, well, if a business is growing, it's probably going to keep growing. Uh, those things are relatively straightforward. If you think about COVID, we haven't had a clean financial year, full financial year since fiscal 2019, 
We are now coming up to the second half of fiscal 2022, and this is still not a clean year because of those lockdowns you mentioned. Fingers crossed for everybody, including health and, and society, that 2023 is a, is a clean year, but that'll be four years between clean years, and it makes it very, very hard to look at a retail, any business, but particularly retail, and try and work out what of their numbers is cyclical, what is what is structural, what is literally one-off because of because of the, the COVID impact of lockdowns, as you say. So it makes it makes it fun, it makes it interesting for us, um, but it certainly does make it harder to be certain, uh, particularly some of these, even you know, when Woolies gets 10% sales growth, I mean, that, that's a staples retailer. And then you look at a discretionary retailer like LaVisa, it makes things much, much more difficult. The good thing, for our members and the good thing for our viewers and listeners is you are on the case, Trevor. I really appreciate that. So, mate, let's let's wrap this up. Let's uh, my my patented, not really elevator pitch from the first of the thirty first floor. You got about 30, 60 seconds. Lay down for me the case for buying shares in Lovisa. Well, I think the case is uh, Lovisa is one of the few specialty retailers that is extremely profitable, at least in the steady state. Uh, if we look at the last five years prior to. 2019, which is when we had the last clean uh, fiscal year, <laughs> they have been doing uh, net profits, you know, 16% consistently. So it wasn't like a once-off. Mm. So mm. if you look at five years prior to that, they've been doing 16% net profit. They're having having a return on invested capital around 60%, which is again quite mm. quite extensive. Um, so it is a, a really profitable uh, fast fashion uh, retailer. So that's the first thing that we like. The second thing is that there is a great alignment because the chairman of the company is the co-founder and he owns about 42% of the of this of this business um so he's heavily invested in this business and mm-hmm. number 3 they recruited someone that we believe is the right uh, recruit to be the CEO given his extensive experience right so we believe that uh, you know a mix of these factors really there's a compelling case that you know you're looking at a business that you know it, for now, it's going through some some pains, but I think in the long term, you, it's a business that can be highly profitable, and that growth opportunity in Europe and also in India and China, I think you know it provides extensive growth opportunities um, for the company going forward. Beautiful, mate. Now, as we always say, when we bring the stock of the week to you, we're not saying bust just by this one stock. There is risk with every single company on the ASX and right around the world. But we think LaVisa is a company that can form part of your portfolio. If you understand the upside, you understand the risks, you'd get your head around the business. And I've got to say, mate, I am much better informed at the end of this video than I was at the beginning. I love the kind of the social media kind of opportunity, also the supply chain uh, expertise and, and frankly, just straight out speed. Really, really impressive business. I'm going to have another look because maybe it's time for me to buy some shares. I'll see how we go. So this will have to go to, to air first. I can't do it until this goes to air. In fact, I can't do it for two full days after that. So if I do, it'll be a little while. But, uh, mate, I really appreciate you bringing that to me, but more importantly to our viewers on YouTube and our listeners via the Motley Fool Money podcast. Trevor, thank you for sharing your expertise. And to viewers and listeners, thank you for spending your time with us. Uh, you can spend your time however you want, and we appreciate you spending it with us. Hopefully, we've delivered way more in value. I'm pretty sure Trevor has delivered way more in value than the time you've given up to listen and, and watch, and we really appreciate it. So on behalf of Trevor, myself, and the whole Motley Fool team, until next time, fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.